Hello, Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 589. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, a, a, a woman of cold weather and warm socks. <laughs> cold weather, warm socks. What it's is it? So it was Friday Night Lights. Here. It's the. Full of hearts, eyes hurt. Oh yeah. no, get loose. Cold hearts, eyes hurt, runny nose, let's football. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We are not here talking about football or anything like that. Not even the weather, because we've got a friggin' lot of stuff to get to this week on the official Marvel podcast, where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, and so much more. We've got so much this week, including a conversation that Lorraine and I had with Steve Loader and Rodney Clowden on producing Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Naturally, when you have a 10-ton red dinosaur, you would partner with him to fight crime on the streets of the Lower East Side of New York City, which is what she does. She becomes Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and uh, they protect the Lower East Side. Holy smokes, that's gonna be a dinosaur. Look out for that conversation coming up later in the show. It's super fun. We know we want to talk about the Quantum Realm because... There was a premiere this week, we'll get into it in a minute, but there's some neat news about Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It is the most watched Marvel film premiere on Disney Plus globally based on hours streamed in the first five days. And that means thank you, because I know it was just you guys Mm -hmm. who listened to this podcast watching that film over and over on repeat. And of course, a reminder that you can watch the behind the scenes footage and interviews of the making of the film in Marvel Studios Assembled, the making of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is streaming only on Disney Plus, as is the film. Of course, go watch them both. Enjoy. Namor Forever. Let's do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. But look, as much as I love Namor, I love someone even more. And that someone is in Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp <laughs> Quantum Mania. And this week, we had the red carpet premiere. You saw the stars, the fashion, the fun, all that stuff. How about we get a little listen to some of the highlights from that red carpet premiere? Kang! 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 <laughs> it's very exciting. I mean, everybody looks so uh, happy and full of life. Anybody who loves ants as much as Hank Pym does. <laughs> He's got a screw loose somewhere along the lines. I mean, hope has been evolving so much and so rapidly over three movies. It's very rare that you get to play a character in film where you get this kind of change from film to film. This is rolling out something very big uh, with some really big storylines, some really big characters. And um, and so it felt uh, it felt it was exciting. It felt different. It felt bigger. It's amazing because it's, you know, sort of the completion of a trilogy with this amazing family with Scott Lang and Cassie and it's funny and it's heartfelt and it's relatable but at the same time kicking off phase five and introducing Kang and Jonathan Majors in a colossal way and that's what I'm most excited for audiences to see tonight. You see this movie on the biggest screen you can with the best sound. We want you to really uh, immerse yourself in the quantum realm. We're going to take you further down than you've ever been. It sounded like so much fun. Mm -hmm. Of course, the film arrives only in theaters next week, February 17th. I will be there on the Thursday, the 16th for those early showings. Very excited. I know some of the, I see people being like, when's, when's the soonest I can see it? I saw people getting to see it on Wednesday, obviously with the premiere this week. Some folks are seeing it now. Hype, 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 excitement, excitement, excitement. Go see it. Go get your tickets. Pre-order them now. It freaking rules. I can't wait to see it again and again. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You are welcome. Also, shout out, if you have not seen yet, there is a book called Look Out for the Little Guy that is in the film. There's a like a little Easter egg about it, uh, kind of like shout outy moment in Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel. If you blinked, you mm-hmm. might have missed it. Yeah. But there's a really great video featuring Paul Rudd that explains nice. this book. Oh, hello. Didn't see you there. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd. You might know me as Scott Lang, AKA Ant-Man. Now, Scott is many things, former convict, a dad, an avenger, but he's also a best-selling author. And now you can purchase my, his, very real book, Look Out for the Little Guy. That's right. Really, really fun. Uh, Go check that video out on Marvel.com. Of course, you can pre-order the book. Again, it is called Look Out for the Little Guy. Pre-order it from your favorite bookseller right now. It'll be released in September. Yeah. And we were just talking about the red carpet for the film. And one of the things revealed during the red carpet was the new season of Marvel Snap, which is called Into the Quantum Realm. Of course, Marvel Snap is an incredible game that Ryan and I love uh, available for mobile and beyond. And this is like great timing. So, Ryan, you want to call up uh, Ben Brode, the CEO of Second Dinner, who developed the game? Yes, Lorraine. Let's call Ben Brode right now. All right. Let me get on the twin phone. Beep boop, boop, beep boop, boop. Calling Ben Brode's phone. Ben Brode's phone. Oh, oh, what up? (laughs) Hey, Ben, how's it going? It's going so good. I'm glad you picked up. I was I was worried you wouldn't, but uh, here we are. And I always let it go to two rings just, uh, just to smart. keep people on the hook. <laughs> smart, smart. Look, obviously, y'all have been doing some amazing work. We talk about the game Marvel Snap every freaking week. I play it so much. I literally stayed up until <laughs> just after midnight the this week when the new season dropped. I was like waiting, waiting, waiting. I got the notification like boom, boom, boom. Give me that whole pass because I needed Modoc. We're going to get into all that soon. But, I mean, how much fun was the red carpet premiere of Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and getting to reveal new season, new details right there? That must have been great. It was incredible. And, like, people are stoked about Marvel Snap. I was, uh, you know, chilling for a while at the at the carpet and talking to some folks. And a bunch of people came up and said, oh, my gosh, I love Marvel Snap. I uh, Let's battle. I actually did some... some uh, some friendly battles with some folks who just happened to recognize me and wanted to play some Marvel snaps. It was super fun. Did you win every battle? I certainly did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I would assume it's all legit too. You're not, you don't have any cheats. You don't have any special no, 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 sauce. No, no, no. It's all just like, this is you're, you're strategizing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't even get, I like, I don't even cheat my account to get cards. I, anything that I, any money I spend in the game is coming out of my own pocket. It's fine. And I put down my 10 bucks to get myself MODOK because MODOK is part of the Into the Quantum Realm season that has just begun. We're going to run down the details because this is is a big fun one. Most importantly, new card for the greatest character in all of fiction, MODOK. What's MODOK's deal in the game, Ben? He's designed only for killing, right? That's mm-hmm. his that's his thing. So in Marvel Snap, that's that's exactly what he does. When you play Modok, he discards every card in your hand. He like floats up and goes, like laser beams everything out of the way, which can be bad, but if you build your deck right, it could be quite good. Oh, believe me, I immediately after buying him was like, I'm gonna get my discard deck real freshened up because I haven't <laughs> used it in a while. 
It is fire. It is so, so good. I want to talk about decks in a second, but uh, there's also a bunch of seasonal rewards, some really cool stuff. There's things that if you get the season pass and you go through all those pieces, there's some really great new variants too for like Ant-Man, Wasp, and the Modoc Assassin one is yep, yep. delightful. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, the variants are really, really cool this season. I'm really excited about this. We got steampunk variants for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is you know, a little wild. That's what we like. We like a little wild. Yeah. And I've had Forge as my avatar since the game launched because I love Forge. He's a great character. He's, you know, good, good mustache, good energy. I'm working my way through the battle pass to get the Modoc. Nice. Avatar. Finally going to replace Forge. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Sad, but at the same time, it's it's good. It's good. Uh, there's more new cards as well. Can you give us a rundown on Ghost? Sure. So Ghost, obviously, from the second Ant-Man movie. So uh, in Marvel Snap, you could play her very early on, but she has an ability that makes all your cards reveal last. So if you have effects that you want to guarantee get off after your opponent's cards have flipped, she's a great card to play. That's a good one. We've got Stature coming this season. Yep. So we were excited to honor her with a card in Marvel Snap. She is pretty big. She's got seven power. She costs five, but if your opponent has discarded a card last turn, then she only costs one. So that's pretty good with cards like Moon Knight that force both players to discard a card, or Black Bolt, who forces your opponent to discard their lowest cost card in their hand. Now, not only are you pinging away at your opponent's hand, but you're slamming down stature for only one energy. It's a good sort of balance. And, you know, if everybody's playing Modoc or discard deck, if you've got stature in there, that's a good, good way to battle. And then, of course, the big boy, Kang. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so excited about Kang. Kang the Conqueror is one of the oldest cards we designed way back in like 2018 when we first started working on this game. And he's just like really hard to implement in the digital version. So we've like waited forever to get it just right. And finally he's coming into the game. So you know, Kang is the master of time. He's the master of the, of the multiverse. And so when you play Kang, because it's simultaneous reveals, Kang flips over, you get to see everything your opponent just tried to do. And then he rewinds time to before they did anything. And he, he jets out of the game, and now I know exactly what you were thinking you were going to do, and I could play around it. Or maybe you're like, well, oh my gosh, you just saw what my turn six was going to be. Maybe I should change it up so that he doesn't, like, you know, do this thing that would counter that move. And so you have to mm. think, are they going to change it? Are they going to stay the course? Like, what's going to create this really incredible mind game? It's super fun. Yeah, that one's fun. It's like taking Daredevil to a whole new level and, like, yeah. with messing with people. Because, you know, when I see Daredevil come down, I'm like, all right turn five, I have to think about what I'm doing and try to, do I faint into it? Like, how do I play that? Because they're going to see what I'm doing before they do. Oh, it's great. I love the strategy <laughs> in the game. Let, talking about strategy, of course, there's new locations that all affect everything in the game. I think the day that we're recording the sacred timeline is the one that is heavily in rotation. So what's the sacred yep. timeline? A sacred timeline is if you fill the location first, you get a copy of of your opening hand. It kind of goes back to the original timeline of the, <laughs> the start of the game, gets you those cards. So it's actually really interesting. If your opening hand wasn't very good this this match, maybe you don't actually need a copy of it. You're going to let your opponent just kind of fill that location, put everything over there, and then you're just going to bail out and win the other two locations. Or maybe your opening hand was really good and it's like, you know, you could use more copies of Devil Dinosaur. Let's slam everything down onto that location and try and get it quicker before your opponent does. There's also the Quantum Tunnel. Yeah, so the Quantum Tunnel is the location from the second movie, I think. Yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp. When you play a card there, you swap it with a card in your deck. 
So it's kind of like a uh, Lockjaw's effect. So you have to think about what's left in my deck. You know, it's really good with cards that have like an honor reveal, but not much power. So Iron Hearts, Silver Surfer, perhaps, where you play the card, it activates, and then you get out of here and give me something else better. So if you have, it depends on what you've drawn, what you haven't drawn yet. And playing there is a risk that you may decide to take or may not decide to take. Yeah, I'm excited to run into that. There's Camp Lehigh, which adds a random three cost card to each player's hand, which I would imagine playing if, if somebody is playing Silver Surfer is also a nice boon. Yeah, that, for sure. Yeah. The last one is the Quantum Realm, which is a really weird oh, yeah. one to me because when you play a card there, you set its base power to two. It's really you know, fun and thematic because it shrinks most cards you know, ah. down to two uh, power <laughs> when they enter the Quantum Realm. But what's really interesting is that it affects the card, but ongoing effects still apply, right? So if you play the Punisher to the Quantum Realm, yeah, he's stays at two power, but his ongoing effect can then buff him beyond two power. Or if you could buff cards after you play them, cards like Captain America can give all the cards their plus one power. Trying to figure out which cards go well. You could play cards like The Hood. The Hood has negative two powers, so mm. uh, you know normally pretty bad, but you play him to the Quantum Realm, and he becomes two power, and then he puts the demon in your hand that has six power as well. So there's a bunch of really interesting combos with uh, Quantum Realm. You mentioned the steampunk variants, and there's a ton yeah. of really cool variants. I love the artists. I was so happy, you know, early on to see Dan Hip and his art because I've been oh, a fan. Yeah of Dan's comic book work for a long, long time. Amazing Joy Buzzards was such a great book and he's just got such a energetic style. So yeah. lots more Dan Hip, Kim Jacinto, Peach Momoko, which come on, yep. come on. Yep. The taco variant. I've seen tacos yeah. pop up a lot in the game and little references and titles and various things. What's the deal? It's so funny. It's just a, you know, a, a vision of the Hulk straight on. He's like, hey, here are some tacos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, so, it's what we love to do. We love to have fun with the game, right? We love yeah. to create variants that are pretty out there and a little wild. And uh, you know, that one especially is great. Yep. And there's uh, some bundles this, this season. Positively Charged Westview Story, Steamy Hell's Kitchen, which I love the name there. Deadpool <laughs> Day and Momoko Magic, which... Again, lots more variants and really cool things for people to check out. There's a lot to look forward to into the Quantum Realm season. It's going to be fun. Thank you, Ben. All right, thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm back from the bathroom. How was it? Oh, it was a delightful interview. Of course, be sure to play Marvel Snap on iOS and Android and PC. And everybody, get your MODOK. Get your MODOK. I'm putting down $10 and I'm going to get my MODOK. Wow. Um, and if you want some more MODOK, because that wasn't enough MODOK for your MODOK, you better go over to Marvel Unlimited because friend of the show, Jordan Bloom, who, of course, worked on the Marvel's MODOK television series, plus lots of other wonderful comics. He has a great MODOK series over on Marvel Unlimited. There's a ton of really great comics featuring MODOK. I'm sure we have reading lists and stuff. There's a Secret Avengers run, which is bananas and it's wild modok oh this is the one where he's in love with a certain someone yes i was gonna... yes yep. <laughs> i remember that i don't want to spoil it but it's, it's a trip really silly it's i really love it good so if you've got a marvel unlimited subscription you know you can read something cool with modok soon that's just not on there yet wink wink yeah. nudge nudge and if you are not yet subscribed to marvel unlimited what's wrong with you get your mm -hmm. life together this is an intervention Marvel Unlimited, of course, is Marvel's digital comics subscription service, which offers readers unlimited access to over 30,000 digital comics, ranging from essentially like uh, all of Marvel history. So uh, <laughs> go use the code LOVEMU, that's L-O-V-E-M-U, 
through February 14th oh, for Valentine's Day savings on uh, some wonderful digital comics. It's a whole year of Marvel Unlimited for $60. This is what we call a spicy meatball and a bargain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this code is valid until February 14th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. There may be taxes depending on where you live. It's valid for U.S. residents only. Sorry, international listeners, I know. This gift is valid for redemption only at marvel.com slash gift. It is redeemable by new and former, now canceled, Marvel Unlimited members. So if you let your membership go, now's the time. Jump on mm. it. Anyways, go Get yourself some Marvel Unlimited terms and conditions apply. You know the deal. All right. Let's move on to Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. It's here. Go check it out on the Disney Channel. The first episode of the new animated series premiered on Disney Channel this week. And if you missed the first viewing, you can check the schedule and it's probably going to air a bunch more times. It's awesome. We don't have terrestrial cable anymore, but we when we were at Disney World... There was just like Disney Channel and Disney Junior, and Mm -hmm. you would look in the menu or the schedule, it would just be like, you could see all the shows. And I'm looking at that, I was like, oh, they're going to put on Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur all the time, and it's going to be great. Yeah, 24-7. And of course, don't worry if you are someone who does not have cable like Ryan. It also arrives on Disney Plus next week on February 15th. And then stay tuned as more episodes released on Disney Channel and Disney Plus. And of course, you can check out clips and teases over on the Marvel HQ YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Marvel HQ. Go subscribe there. They're also going to have some great stuff on the Disney Channel YouTube that you can check out. But here's a little taste of the show in case you missed it. Let's take a little listen to this adorable, wonderful show right now. Still working on that thing that's going to fix all our problems? Time to get genius! It's working! Yes! Oh, no, no! Where are you keeping Clifford? We gotta do this on the DL or my family will freak. <laughs> now we got superheroes. Somebody call the Avengers. Do they even go below 14th Street? I've gotta fix this. <clears throat> I am the smartest 13 year old. And now I have a dinosaur. My brain, your brawn. We can be superheroes. What do you think? No. What's well, not in that outfit? Dang, we did the thing! Yeah, yeah, we did. There's no one else to stick up for the Lower East Side. You're just a kid? Are we in over our heads? You're gonna inspire people, just like you inspired me. Moon Girl Magic! Our world needs saving right now. This one's a fighter. It's like you always say, one girl can make a difference, right? Especially when that girl is you. Let's do this, Dee! You go, Moon Girl! Do your thing! Moon Girl Magic! What are you doing? You can't eat that without some of my pie. Wow! (laughs) 
right. Again, that debuted on Disney Channel and will be on Disney Plus starting on February 15th. And if you want some toys based on the series, check out some of the cute little Funkos over on Marvel.com. They're super duper cute. Mm-hmm. Go check them out. Yeah. Let's hit the multiverse and talk about a brand new book coming next week. It is Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, the movie special. It gets us behind the scenes of the film. A whole bunch of cool stuff in there. You're going to see Scarlet Witch and tons and tons and tons of wild stuff. If you want to see a really cool look behind the scenes of the film, this is the book for you. You can pre-order it right now or just pick it up next week, February 14th, wherever you get your books. I love behind the scenes documentary a behind the scenes book just give me all the making of stuff i can handle please i like the idea i'm like who do you get this book for on february 14th obviously a marvel lover but also a mom possessed <laughs> all right um if you're looking for more reading materials might i recommend a new book the superhero's journey by acclaimed cartoonist patrick mcdonald that is coming in september september 26th of 2023 And it is the latest addition to the best-selling Marvel Arts series, which is a collaboration between Marvel Comics and Abrams Comic Arts. Abrams Books does just some really awesome stuff. And the cover was just revealed. You can check it out over on Marvel.com. But this is a graphic novel which features classic Marvel superheroes, including the Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Black Panther, and Spider-Man. It's using the Marvel Universe as like avatars and McDonald, the cartoonist, brings together his inspirational and sort of moral sensibilities throughout his career and muses on how comics changed his life and set him on a course to become a cartoonist. It sounds like it's going to be a really wonderful, inspiring, beautiful book. So definitely go check that out from Abrams, September 26th. I'm sure pre-orders will be available at some point before that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about comics because we recently revealed the final one-shot in Peach Pomoko's Demon Wars saga focusing on the Scarlet Witch. It's the end of it is called Demon Wars Scarlet Sin. And it's got the yokai, they're at war, and the protagonist of the series, Mariko Yoshida, who is the descendant of the Oni King, has to choose a side. Dun, dun, dun. So we've been following this along. There's, you know, versions of a lot of the Marvel superheroes and supervillains rethought in the way that Peach does beautifully and weirdly as yokai. So seeing this all come together uh, with the Scarlet Witch right at the, the heart of it. Oof, can't wait for it. That is coming out May 3rd. This week, we got news of a really cool anniversary issue, a big anniversary issue for Nick Fury called Fury. Number one, coming out in May. It's all written by Al Ewing, but it has art by some of my favorites, Scott Eaton, Tom Riley, Ramon Rosanas, and Adam Kubert. Adam does a really cool cover that shows off like sort of different time periods and eras of Nick Fury. And that's kind of cool because each artist will tackle a different period of Fury, including his early adventures in the Howling Commandos to his present day version. Uh, So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff. If you've never read a Nick Fury comic, this one might get you really excited to go back and check out more. Check that out in May. Yeah. Also coming this May, Ryan North and Yvonne Coelho are releasing Fantastic Four number seven, but it's not just Mm -mm. the seventh issue of their run. It's also the 700th issue of the title. That's like a big fwee, fwee, fwee. That's a big number. And so they are going to, of course, celebrate in true fantastic fashion with a giant-sized throwdown against the team's legendary arch nemesis, Dr. Doom. Ugh, why does every doctor who goes bad become a supervillain? Why not? (laughs) 
you know. I got my PhD in bad stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Doom is going to be making his first appearance in North and Coelho's run. Pick it up on the 17th of May. Read the series because we love it. It's so good. You're welcome, America, and the global part of the world also. <laughs> I'm going to give a little tease. Next week Ooh. is an issue of Ooh. Fantastic Four. It's probably four. And if you want to see Reed Richards crying his eyes out like a tiny little wimpy baby. I do. This is your issue. I mean, it's it's a really great emotional scene that Ryan and Aban put together. But I love seeing Reed Richards cry. We drink his tears. Yeah. Nom, 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 nom. All right. Let's talk about the Avengers. I was, there's no segue. I didn't want to drink the Avengers tears. Oh, you know what? I will drink the Visions tears because even an android... Can cry. cry. And he's on the team. We have officially revealed yeah. the lineup for Avengers because we have a new Avengers number one, that comic book series releasing May 17th by Jed McKay and CF Via. We got a sense of the team when we first announced it, but now it is official on the squad. Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Scarlet Witch, Iron Man, Thor, Vision, and Captain America, Sam Wilson. And it looks great. That's it. That's all the news I had there, but I was like, this is a good team. I like it. Yeah. I'm really excited for that series. It's going to be a banger. I just know it. Also a banger. Get ready. We have Marvel's Wastelanders news. The final episode of the epic podcast saga dropped earlier this week, and that was only in the English version. But we have big news for our international audience. Marvel has teamed up with Audible, a leading creator and provider of premium audio storytelling, who will release the entire Wastelanders podcast saga in French, German, Hindi, Italian, and Japanese editions. So if you have an Audible account anywhere, you can hear all of the translations piped directly into your ears. The first season of the series, Marvel's Wastelanders Star-Lord, will be released exclusively on Audible on June 28th of 2023. The rest of the Wastelanders podcast will premiere exclusively on Audible and will deliver the richly designed, fully immersive audio entertainment experience that includes exciting actors playing iconic Marvel superheroes in each of those languages. Let's keep this rolling. I'm going to tell you about Marvel's Pull List podcast because it's the show all about Marvel comics that I co-host every week. This week, we've got three big picks of the week for you. The books I really, really want you all to go check out it is Dark Web Finale, the big crossover between the X-Men and Spider-Man. If you're a Madeline Pryor fan, you better be reading Dark Web. Good story. Real cool stuff in there for her. Second issue of Scarlet Witch, which is just so good. Oh, my gosh. And Legion of X number 10, which, man... Parental issues abound in that one. It is a big book of sadness, but it's a great comic book. Anyway, uh, we've also got a wonderful reading club, another one of our creator commentaries we are talking with for the second episode in a row, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly getting into the rest of their run on the book and giving some teases, some previews, talking about the history and so much more. So we had such a great time talking with them. We split it up into two episodes because we went pretty long of course go check out captain america sentinel of liberty and get ready for captain america cold war coming really soon new episodes of marvel's pull list are out every tuesday listen on the sirius xm app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts all right let's keep the party moving our chat with steve loader and rodney Clowden who are producing marvel's moon girl and devil dinosaur are coming up in just a moment and i have to say mm. They have very cool careers. I guarantee that they are going to rock your childhood when you hear some of the things that they've worked on. So get into it. We'll be back 
right after this, don't go anywhere. Stay here with us. We get lonely without you. And we're back. You are listening, of course, to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. And I'm Lorene Sink. And we have an interview coming up all about Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the new series uh, that's now available on Disney Channel and coming soon to Disney+. And it's a ding-dang delight, as we like to say. And I'm very excited because we talked to Steve Loader and Rodney Clowden, who are just legends in the animation world. They've worked on so much cool stuff, and this series is no exception. Um, I'm so excited for folks to check it out. Great music, great animation, great storytelling, cool background, wonderful characters, cheeseburgers, french fries. Mm. I'm hungry. Let's get into this interview. Lorraine, it is time to talk about one of the most exciting new pieces of Marvel anything, Marvel's mm-hmm. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And we are delighted to be joined by executive producer Steve Loder and supervising producer Rodney Clowden. Hello, Steve. Hello. Hi, Rodney. How you doing? We're doing great. We're all the better now that you folks are here. We're really excited to talk about Moon Girl and her new adventures. But before we dive into that, we want to know, what are your Marvel origin stories? What are the first way you encountered the Marvel Universe, the Marvel characters? Oh, yeah. Well, my dad was actually buying Amazing Spider-Man from issue number five on that early. Nice. So so had a lot of Spider-Man comics in the house. But I have to admit, my big entryway into Marvel Comics was the Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin X-Men run. So much so that I would take, like, odd jobs in the neighborhood to pay for the expensive back issues that existed at the time. You know, I I paid, I think, $30 for a very fair condition of X-Men 101. So X-Men was a big thing for me as a kid. Yeah, for me, it was always Spider-Man. Spider-Man was my guy. And I just connected with him as a kid. I mean, I had Spider-Man, all kind of everything. I had a Spider-Man bike with the training wheels. I even, when I took the training wheels off that bike, that's how I learned how to ride a two-wheel bike on that same Spider-Man bike. And just my mom, weirdly enough, gave me a a subscription. And they would mail comic books to our apartment. So I would get those every month. I knew something was coming. I knew it was like Spectacular Spider-Man or G.I. Joe or X-Men or... uh, Star Wars, or even the Indiana Jones comic books, I was getting those in the mail. So Marvel was always it. And Spider-Man pretty much was my entry. So I remember just watching the electric company. They had their little Spider-Man initial there. So I remember that. And then there was a crazy Spider-Man movie from the, was it from the 70s? Yeah. (laughs) Wild. I feel kindred spirits here with Lorraine and I and you guys. Like, I remember going to the laundromat with my mom and picking up there was a used bookstore next door and getting claremont Byrne and austin x-men issues like from a used bookstore all beaten up and that was like my mind was blown at like nine ten years old it was the best all that is to get me to the question what's the story of marvel's moon girl and devil dinosaur sure well the show is about lunella lafayette a 13 year old super genius actually one of the smartest people in the marvel universe She creates a portal device which accidentally transports 
devil dinosaur into our world. And so naturally, when you have a 10-ton red dinosaur, you would partner with him to fight crime on the streets of the Lower East Side of New York City, which is what she does. She becomes Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and uh, they protect the Lower East Side. I'm so excited for the series. Love the comic books. They're so delightful, so full of heart, and and they're so funny and clever. And I was just so thrilled to hear that this story was going to be coming to animation because it just seems like sort of the perfect fit. And you guys are no stranger to animation and storytelling. Rodney, why don't you kick us off? What are some of the projects, you know, before Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur that you were working on in the animation world and beyond that we might be familiar with? Well, uh, my first job was a character designer. I was on a show called Duckman. And yeah. it was with um, <laughs> Jason Alexander, who was the, the voice of Duckman. And then I moved into the Wild Thornberries, which was on Nickelodeon, and then Futurama. So I did the first four seasons of Futurama. And then I uh, moved into working on American Dad, directing on that one. Some real nerd credit in yeah. there, <laughs> from, from, especially from folks of Ryan and I's generation. That deeply speaks to us. Stephen, what about you? Yeah, my, my resume is rather confusing because it jumps <laughs> to a lot of different genres. So I uh, directed on a show called Ren and Stimpy. I was a director and producer on a show, Kim Possible. I just showed up with Rodney, actually. Duckman, yeah. Wild Thornberry. I, I met Steve on Duckman. He, he was a director on there. Yeah. And I did a movie, Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast. So it's it a pretty diverse uh, group of different types of films. It's awesome. You know, you guys are executive producer, supervising producer. But what are your day-to-day roles like on Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Steve, what about you? Well, being the executive producer on the show, I work with the other executive producers, which is Lawrence Fishburne and Helen Sugland of Cinema Gypsy, who brought the project actually to Disney, working with Marvel to bring it to Disney TV animation. And basically the role of a showrunner is to kind of oversee all the overview aspects of the production, writing, storyboarding, animatics, and budget and scheduling and, and all of the above. But really, the success of a show kind of depends on the team you put together and the trust you put in that team because a showrunner cannot be everywhere all the time and you need to trust everyone that you're working with to be able to not only take the nugget of vision that you've provided, but take on that and expand on it and then add their own vision to it to just kind of make it a really great show. And like for Rodney, like Rodney is, I trust Rodney 100% and we commonly kind of split our duties and responsibilities so that we can kind of cover everything we need to cover. Yeah, so I'm kind of the uh, the support. When Steve can't do something, I'm there to pick up the slack on where it needs to be. So I'm sitting in record sessions with the actors and looking at animation footage and making notes on that with the head of animation. So, and that is a lot of little things, but the main thing is there are a lot of meetings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of a lot meetings. of meetings. A lot of yeah. Zoom meetings and finding time in between to go to the bathroom. <laughs> You know, I don't feel like people talk about how much that is production. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have to say, shout out to the producers of the world. I think producers are the glue of a lot of projects. You know, they're holding that whole boat together. They're keeping that ship tight and setting sail in the right direction. So big shout out to the producers of the world who make it happen. I got to say, too, because I have a new respect and appreciation for producers, EPs, because being on the other side, I was a director and 
the stuff that now I'm privy to, it's like, I'm so glad that they shielded us artists from <laughs> any of that stuff that goes on behind the scenes because it's it's a lot and it could be very distracting. And then there's a lot of shifting around and moving things and problem solving and pivoting. And I have to give it up to our producing team. It's just, they would do a really great job. You know what? I will say one positive thing about the Zoom environment we've been in for quite a while is it actually has made the show more collaborative. One of the things that was really important to us on this show is that everybody had a voice. So no matter what role you had on the show, what department you were in, you were in animatic screenings or art reviews or things or even like story note sessions so that you had a voice. You can speak up and say, oh, this is not clear to me or I think this is maybe we could move this or adjust this scene to feel a certain way. And with Zoom, it was just so easy to gather a room of 30 people, you know, as opposed to to doing it in person, actually. So I think it actually helped the show in a big way. I love that. And, you know, it's just like such a great idea. You know, when we heard of the show being announced, we were just like, yes, obviously, that's an amazing, (laughs) that's an amazing choice. How did the animated series come about its sort of origin story as a series? Well, it starts with Lawrence Fishburne in a comic book store. (laughs) Lawrence is a big comic book fan, and he talks about how in the 70s that was his primary go-to source of entertainment. So he was doing his weekly run, you know, his Wednesday weekly run to get his his pull list, and he saw Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on the stands and said, what's this? And read it and fell in love with it. So he brought it to Helen Sugland over at Cinema Gypsy. Cinema Gypsy is great, by the way. They've made blackish, grownish, mixedish. And they said, we need to do something about this. And so calls were made. And and when Cinema Gypsy calls, you take that call. And deals were made. And it was kind of the beginnings of turning it into an animated project. And it was a really great merger of Marvel and Disney at that time. Because it kind of showed, all right, we're going into kid territory. A show that is primarily aged at kids. Which is something that Disney knows really, really well. We understand that market. And they brought me on primarily because of my experience with strong female protagonists. I've done a number of projects with that, and they felt that it would be a good fit. And with Rodney on board, we started to really kind of imagine the world. Because Rodney and I share a connection. And Rodney, you want to pick up the story from there? You're talking about the New York connection? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Can't deny that. Yeah. We also went to the same high school in New York, which is crazy. (laughs) Really? Yeah. High School of Art and Design in Manhattan. So when we decided, all right, so we're going to develop this thing and we're going to turn this into a show. And and so we started thinking about the writing and the development of the characters. And so we hired a really fantastic writing team, Kate Condell and Jeff Howard from Features, because I felt like we needed to have stories that had kind of the deep peaks and valleys you would have in cinematic storytelling. And I think the first presentation that we made was was an hour-long pitch of just the character breakdowns. Like, this is Lunella Lafayette. This is what she likes. This is what she needs. This is how she thinks. This is how she feels. And I think we pitched it to Dan Buckley and, and a bunch of people at Marvel. And I think they were kind of blown away by the amount of work and thought 
we put into the characters and some of the things that we kind of moved away from in the comic that we kind of changed for this different medium we approached with Marvel and said, well, the family, we want to have them have one of the last roller rinks in New York City. It explains why Moon Girl is so good on skates. Maybe she's yep. she's been around skates her entire life. And it just, it gave a whole new kind of flavor to the family dynamic, which we wanted to kind of explore. And then we actually started to approach the art. And Ronnie, tell us a little bit about the, the development of the, and the different art styles we kind of threw into yeah, this thing. So- but also interesting too is like there was a documentary that was called United Skates and it was on HBO and it was about the skating culture and black skating culture. And that was also the impetus in terms of like having the last skating rink in New York City and, and just really kind of giving a love letter to the skate culture and that aspect. But as far as the art style, we wanted to show New York in the most authentic way. And, you know, New York has a texture to it, has a grit and has an edge to it. And and a lot of shows, you know, they're very slick and, and smooth. But what is New York? You think about graffiti, you think about Basquiat, Andy Warhol, pop culture, and Keith Haring. And how do you mesh that into it and making it visually look cool and authentic? So we had uh, Sean Jimenez who was doing the development of it. And we were talking about what's the style that we want to go for and you know, how will we make this different? And you know, Spider-Verse was a big influence in terms of like wanting to push the envelope. But, you know, we're a TV, so we have a TV budget. We can't do what Spider-Verse does. So how do we make it different visually? We went into the bag of pop culture tech offsetting printing with Andy Warhol with the offset printing and Walt Paraguay, you know, one-on-one Dalmatians and, and all just going into the Disney. How do we make it visually interesting and, and adding all that culture and texture to everything. So we did a lot of just experimentation to find that and it just kind of worked out and everything just kind of came together. When we realized we were going to do a 2D show as opposed to a, a 3D computer generated show, we really leaned into the pen and ink mm-hmm. aspect of it, the the hand-drawn sensibility. That's why the characters have this really kind of spotted blacks. Yeah. You wanted a moving comic book, basically. Yeah, yeah. A moving, absolutely, a moving comic book. Yeah, I think it's super apparent and I'm glad it's not 3D because of all the reasons you're talking about it. There's a movement to it. There's like a simple thing you were talking about you know, Lunella being on skates. There's one point where she's like thinking and she's just like slowly skating across <laughs> and it, it has a certain feel to it in the animation style. And it also, obviously it looks different from the Natasha Bustos art from the original comics, but it's still, you get that connection, you get that feel for it. And the New York City of it all, you know, that sense of community, especially that Lower East Side feel when, you know, when Lunella's down there, and she's like, what happened to the Kanish shop? And and then she's like eating a halal sandwich and like all the cultures are there. It's all one big mixing, wonderful community with like that feel to it. Even if it's like really quick, snap, 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 you're seeing all these things. To me, it feels like New York City, which is which yeah. is so great. And that's also part of the art style. You know, like you're saying, there's culture. You're throwing it all together, and that's New York, what you see. And then seeing the different incidentals that are even in the background, that New York is all textures, all colors, all everything. So you wanted to make sure that comes across. 
And it's actually accurate. It's street accurate in that we really made sure that it wasn't just a, a fantasy version of New York. The street names and kind of the architecture and buildings that are there are accurate. I mean, if you think about New York City House represented in other projects and shows, you would think it's all alleys. New York is just all <laughs> alleys all the time. But we wanted to represent a dense, crowded city. Yeah. And even there's like Delancey Street right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. that's where Jack Kirby grew up. I love this. I was hooked from jump. Yeah, and, and it just in terms of just the ability when you talk about the difference between 3D and then our show being 2D, it allows for that particular animation style, that movement. It gets a little more energy and different. It's a different texture and feel. It's kinetic. Yeah, it's kinetic from a 3D show that the ability that you can do with 2D animation, traditional animation, it kind of opens up a lot of possibilities visually. Yeah. And, you know, something I love, too, about New York City is so much of it is built around the community and the people and and the way we're seeing Lunella on the Lower East Side and what it is to be a person who lives on the Lower East Side, especially a kid on roller skates. And there's such a great group of supporting folks around here. Obviously, we get to meet Devil Dinosaur. But could you tell us a little bit of some of the cast of characters that we get to meet along the way in this wonderful Lower East Side adventure? Oh, yeah. Well, Diamond White plays Lunella Lafayette, also Moon Girl. She is fantastic. I mean, she's a brilliant actor. She's a fantastic singer. She can do it all. She's amazing. We have Libe Barrere, who plays her best friend, Casey. She's fantastic. Fred Tattashore is playing Devil Dinosaur. Fred's a legend. Yes. He is. He's a Marvel mm-hmm. legend, too. He's been mm-hmm. in about every Marvel <laughs> series that's ever been. Yeah. And Ronnie, because I was thought it was interesting. So Fred approaches Devil Dinosaur in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, you think of when you write a script, you say, Devil is concerned. But Fred's like, could you just write the dialogue? Because I just want to get into the headspace, the emotional headspace of Devil in terms of what he's thinking. Instead of just like, here's a concerned grunt. He's concerned. Why is he concerned? What is he thinking? What is he saying when he's concerned? And then Fred does things with his throat. I don't know. I said (laughs) he's got like two throats and he spits. I don't know what he does, but it's amazing. And he helps to give Devil Dinosaur a depth. He could easily just be a sidekick character and like nobody would give him a thought, but he really becomes lovable. He's really introspective and he has a lot of a lot of layers. Yeah, and the cast continues on from there. It's incredible. You know, Lawrence Fishburne still being in the show. Alfre Woodard, who also I mean, a Marvel legend. Also a Marvel yes. legend. Yes. I, also yes. just a legend. <laughs> just <laughs> the friggin' best. It's just incredible. And even Gary Anthony Williams, who plays Pops. And the guest stars coming up are also, it's a crazy list. It's an amazing list. I mean, they were all drawn to the project. It was once we pitched them what this show was, they absolutely couldn't not do it. So it's great. It's also amazing. Sometimes we would throw out a name, say, oh, but if we could get so-and-so. And, you know, I don't know, the cast is kind of like, maybe, you know, but we're like, let's just go for it. Like Wesley Snipes is one of them. He was like, we were just like pie in the sky. Let's just throw it out there and see if we can get Wesley Snipes. But then we got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't tell you who he plays. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> we will wait to be surprised and delighted. But one of the fun things, of course, is also the music, the theme song. How much fun is it to have a great theme song, have someone like Rafael Sadiq involved and like get to put all this together? Oh, yeah. Raphael Sadiq is a genius. I know that word is thrown around 
maybe too much, but he's absolutely amazing. And actually, there's an interesting story about how I got him to actually be on the show. Because we, we kind of threw his name out as a possibility, but it was met with, well, he's a popular guy, he's a touring musician, he's producing, you know, John Legend, and it's like, it, it, it seems unlikely, <laughs> you know, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. so so what happened was he was having an album release at the time, an album called Jimmy Lee, which is fantastic, and he was doing a, a record signing at a record store in uh, Los Angeles. So I made sure I was the first in line for this record signing. And in the 30 seconds it took to sign my album, I pitched the show to him. And by the end of him signing that album, he was signed on to the show. And it was pretty amazing. And since then, he's just, what an amazing collaborative partner he's been. And, and every genre we throw his way, every, every type of song, he just produces this amazing piece of art. In fact, the main title, usually for main titles, you have to do like a thousand different versions. You know, I'm exaggerating, but you do a lot because you want to make sure it's, it's absolutely perfect. It's going to anchor the show for a very long time. You got to make sure it's absolutely right. And the first demo he sent in of the main title is Moongrow Magic. It was the version that is in the show. That's never, ever happened before. That's the level of genius we're talking about. That's incredible. What a magical Hollywood kind of story. <laughs> Just like went to record signing and we got like a phenomenal, amazing musician. And it's so cool because we're talking, of course, about the theme song right now, but it seems like music is going to be a pretty important part of the series, especially, you know, given that her parents do run a roller rink and roller rinks without music are not as fun as roller rinks with music. But how did, you know, music become such an important part of the series for you folks? You're a big music nerd, Steve. But also in terms of just helping to give the vibe of the show, you know, you wanted to hit the audience with something that is different that you wouldn't expect. And we're just like really lucky that we got someone like Raphael who understood the assignment of like what we wanted to do. And the music, it's, it's fresh, it's like sophisticated. And, and we also have these cool moments that were called mixtape moments where Lunella, when she's fighting the villain that goes into a whole different animation style and musical style. So it's a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun playing with that. And, you know, hopefully the audience gets down with it too. So. It is fun. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, fighting the villains and, you know, in the beginning we see this electricity villain who shows up. Can you tell us a little bit about the characters outside of that core group of supporting characters? Who else we might see Lunella go up against or who might pop into her world? We know Lawrence Fishburne playing the Beyonder, which is amazing. Yeah, it's. I think the cast of villains that are coming up are, are really going to surprise people because we are true Marvel nerds and being able to work with Marvel, we wanted to do a lot of deep cuts. We wanted to do a lot of villains and characters that you haven't seen either in the MCU or in animation. And Marvel was very much on board with that. And actually, it was great because it gave us the flexibility to kind of expand on these characters. So like in the first season, some of the villains that I know already announced are Aftershock. Allison Breeze playing Aftershock, and that's amazing. Like you mentioned, the Beyonder, and the Beyonder was a fantastic character. I mean, that character was Lawrence crafting a role because we wanted to make sure that we gave Lawrence a very sizable, recognizable, important role in the show, vocal role in the show. 
And so when the Beyonder came up, he was, okay, I want to deep dive in this character. Let's write this character together. Let's design this character together. And I think it really, it's turned the character into something, I think, really unique and special. And it's, to me, it's one of my favorite characters in the show just because it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it came out, and just in terms of even just talking about how the design came about, it just really evolved and it just became a, a design by a little small committee of me, Steve, Lawrence, and our character designer, Jose Lopez. And we really just crafted it and it just went from one extreme, which was cool, but then it just took it to this weird, elegant, creepy guy <laughs> extreme, which it's really a great design and it just fits his personality. I'm glad you guys say weird because I think weird is so important for kids TV, at least for me, it's like, Lorraine and I are very weird. And I think part of it is born from <laughs> a lot of secrets. the things we were exposed to early on. You're weird, Lorraine. Don't don't deny it. It's fine. It's good. I want my daughter to be exposed to cool, quirky, weird stuff that gets her it's imagination moving. It's really yeah. important. Yeah. I'm glad you guys oh, can yeah. embrace that. Yeah. It's even when I sit in the uh, record sessions, you know, you're picking the takes for the actors and you're like, I like that take where that voice did this weird inflection or they added something extra to it that wasn't in the script. And it's like, that take, that's the take I like, you know, the ones that are more offbeat. And it's kind of one of the sensibilities that we applied to the show early on is because when you're doing a TV series, you tend to fall in cliches, certainly in the storytelling. And we kind of took the cliches, you know, head on and kind of tweaked them into something more unique and just more strange just because it just felt like this is the right platform and the right show to kind of do that with. I love it too. And I love the way also that like she tackles problems in a way that turns these like real things that kids deal with on their head in like a really fun superhero lens. The way that we meet Aftershock and how Aftershock becomes part of her life or or how we see like trolling from maybe a real troll. Yeah. And it's stuff that, you know, I think we dealt with maybe when we were little kids, but in different ways that like modern technology in the modern world have totally changed for kids. How are you looking at sort of like modern childhood to inform these superhero stories? Because it's so smart and different, I think. Well, one of the important things for us was we needed to make sure that every episode started with a thematically with a 13 year old emotion. This episode is about jealousy. This episode is about impatience. And that was kind of the cornerstone of the episode. And everything had to kind of reflect that notion moving through. And also the superhero story had to mirror that as well. So if she was having issues with impatience in her Lunella life, that would have to carry over into the Moon Girl life as well. So that was kind of a really important thing for us that it had to be relatable, not only to a 13 year old, but also to all of us. These are all emotions that we all feel. But it had the added wrinkle of, you know, modern day technology. It's a whole new world for kids than what we grew up in, certainly with social media and the expectations that that is. So we had to kind of try to find a way to really, this is a lot of pressure on Lunella's world. Super genius, in school, superhero, social media interaction. It's a whole different thing. 
I love that. And thank you for making me feel very old with that cassette tape <laughs> player. I was like, right. that's for the parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I was like, it's legit, though. Nobody's seen a cassette in a while. <laughs> those mixtapes. We, we, we crafted those mixtapes to just make, oh, sure, yes. make sure there's no space in between the songs. This, this displays my emotion and my thoughts. And oh, Trying to tape the radio. Yeah, just right before the DJ speaks. You're like, ah. Are you waiting for that song, you, the rotation of that song to play again? You're like sitting there for like an hour. <laughs> Kids have it too dang easy these days. Um, as we wrap up here, what are you all excited for fans to see in the series? A lot of stuff I'm sure we've already talked about. Or even what are you excited for fans to take away from the series? Rodney, we'll start with you. Well, for me, when I saw the project, I was very excited in terms of just seeing the representation. And especially with Black Panther, you saw the response of, Black people, or even just people that are not Black, but there was a want, a desire to see some other representation in this superhero space. And to see that it was a young teenage Black girl who's a super genius, and she's about her family and the community, and her motto is like, one person can make a difference. And hopefully this show inspires everyone, not just Black, but everyone that you can make a difference. Science is cool. Being smart is cool. There is ingenuity out there from wherever you can find it. And just take the positive message out of it and just enjoy the ride. And that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I'll just add that I was super fortunate to have done a, like a Disney feature prior to this because I realized the value of something in the industry we call four quadrant, which basically means that it's for everybody. You have your parents and your kids and they're all interested in watching this. It's not like you just turn on the TV and the parents leave the room. It's entertaining enough for the whole family. And I think that was really important for us is that this show, you know, can be enjoyed by everybody. Heck yeah. We'll be watching it very closely. Steve, Rodney, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Once again, big thanks to Steve Loader and Rodney Cloudon. Again, you got to check out Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on Disney Channel and starting next week also on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. But you know what else is coming up next week? Hot dog pizzas. Yes, and also a film called Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the spirit of that, I think we got to ask folks, what are you most looking forward to in the film? Obviously, we're not going to spoil the film for you right away. So we want to know what you're looking forward to. Have you seen the film? Don't spoil it. Be cool, man. Look, Lorraine, you know what I'm going to say. The thing that I'm most excited for people to see is a thing that I can't talk about yet, but I will talk about it. Also, I'm so thrilled that they announced publicly that William Jackson Harper is going to be in the film. You might know and love him from The Good Place. He played Cheaty on The Good Place. He's so good. He's so funny. I love him so much. I'm so excited that he's part of the Marvel Universe. There's so much cool stuff. I don't want to spoil it. It, it looks cool. unlike anything else we've done. It's really yeah. funny. It's got great heart. Amazing antagonist. Yeah, it's crazy stacked cast. Like, it's just incredible. So basically, we're saying we're excited for you all to see all of it. But we want to know what you're (laughs) most excited to see in the film. So you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it's okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show next week and get you extra hyped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
of course, the question of the week last week was, who's your favorite young Marvel hero? But we've got lots of great tweets here. First off, we got Ashley Klein at Ashley underscore RPG, who said, there are a few young Marvel heroes that are my favorites, but I'll say Kate Bishop, Miles Morales, Jubilee, Wiccan, and Speed. Wow. Remember when Jubilee was young? <laughs> I know. It's so hard to think of. It's weird to grow up with her. I know. Ugh. And I will say one of the best examples of adoption oh, in our stories yeah. because it's great because she's sure she's a mom and it's just she's a mom. It's the best. Anyway, uh, Tone DeShields at Tone Desh tweeted, overall in Marvel, it's Miles Morales. Inside of the MCU, it's Kate Bishop. All right, we got Pat at horror underscore Deshul who said, you should see the other guys. Kate Bishop. Mm-hmm. Devam Pandy at Devam underscore three said, my favorite young superhero is Spider-Man. And you know what? The best part about that is there is a version of Spider-Man that is still young, mm-hmm. no matter like the comics with him being young. You can watch some of the cartoons where he's young. It works. It works. It works. It works. Aaron Villarreal at Aaron V said, I love Jubilee. Yeah. I'm adding fireworks to that. I am Maria Patricia at Maria underscore Trishi says, hey, I am from Uganda and my favorite young hero is Ms. Marvel. Hello, Maria Patricia from Uganda. It's a great pick. We got this one for Alina at Alina underscore MM. Ms. Marvel slash Kamala Khan, such a badass young woman. And Amon Vellani did such a great job in the series. Oh, I have to agree. And also, honestly, it just gives me so much life hearing her talk about like dressing up as Miss Marvel for Halloween and stuff before. Like she is the true Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. We got an email from James Dean who said, hi, Twim team. Kate Bishop wins the prize of best young hero. She rocks it in two of my favorite comics, the 2005 Young Avengers run by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung and the 2012 Hawkeye run by Matt Fraction and David Aha. Great picks, James. Yeah. Lots of Kate Bishop. I'm loving it. Yeah. All right. Next up, we got a email from Ben Axelson who said, Hi, Ryan and Lorraine. Maybe an odd pick, but a more recent young character I've enjoyed following is Cosmar. To me, she's a fresh take on a classic mutant dilemma, how to embrace your powers when they've caused you and those around you so much pain. That's basically the rogue story. But what I like about Cosmar is that the answer wasn't as simple as quote unquote, embracing her powers. There's not a one size fits all solution for challenging mutations. I love that. Yeah. Uh, If anybody out there wants to read about Cosmar's story, go check out the most recent run of New Mutants comics. Cosmar um, went through a whole bunch of stuff in that. It was really great. It's a great pick, Ben. We get an email from the magical Marvel family of Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. They say, hi, Ryan and Lorraine. I called in my resident experts of young heroes, Fiona, who's nine, and Nolan, who's seven. Fiona can't get enough of new mutants, champions, and secret warriors, but she has found her stride with Runaways, and Nico is her girl. She's excited to start her own Midnight Suns campaign and get to super best friend level with Nico like I did with Carol. And Nolan is all about Young Avengers, and his answer for any character-based question of any age is Billy slash Wiccan and Teddy slash Hulkling. He ships their relationship, and we're hopeful we see Teddy in the MCU soon. Thanks for being my steady transition to both end my workday on Friday and kick off my weekend right. Oh, thank you, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. Always, always, always for writing in. Oh, my heart just grew three sizes. That was so nice. I know. All right. We got an email here from Antonio, which said, short and sweet, my favorite young Marvel hero is Jeff from It's Jeff. Don't try to tell me he's not a hero. He's a hero to me. Also, how old is Jeff? Hard to say. 
I don't know how old Jeff well, is. Well, so when Jeff first appeared in West Coast Avengers by Kelly Thompson and I think it was Stefano Caselli, he was drawn, it was like depicted as a young land shark because there were these other giant, big, older land sharks that were rampaging. And I think they left Jeff behind. It's been a couple of years since I read that. So he's a little witty, witty, whittle, teddy. What did you say? Whittle baby? A whittle baby hero? Yeah, he's a whittle baby hero. All right. Let's go over to Facebook. We had a couple of Facebook messages, one from Carly, who said, My choice for favorite young Marvel hero slash heroine has to be one Shocket, Melissa Raccoon, Rocket's daughter. She's been through so much from starting out as Tavon's pet to finding her daddy Rocket, becoming leader of the New Warriors for a while, saving the multiverse from Captain R, an evil variant of her dad. She also has had her heart broken by Linda Duckman. But now, after being with the Guardian, she's with her spider girl, Itsy Bitsy Parker, on Schism in Itsy and Shocket Unlimited. But Shocket's also a tech goddess because of her quantum blood and her furry veins. Carly went deep, and I super duper appreciate it. We love that. If you want to get on the the train for Shocket, you got to go check out Howard the Duck from 2015 or so. Um, Issue number five, Shocket shows up and there's a bunch of stories that they've been in since then. So really great pull. Wow. We've got one here from Raphael who said, wanted to share a few things. We welcomed early my second son. He was born last week. With that comes the late nights, and I finally got to watch Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda forever. As a big fan of Namor, I really love how he was portrayed in this movie. Great job, Marvel. The suspense alone of waiting for him to say Imperius Rex was worth it. Have only positive things to say on this movie and can't wait to catch up on a few other things. P.S. Marvel Snap is amazing. Yay for battle mode. I challenge any of you. I was literally up until 1 a.m. last night playing Marvel Snap, so let's not talk about any of this. We got to wrap it up. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Because this episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, The Rain Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Happy birthday, Brad. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Shock It's Rockets. Y- you want to sh- shock it? Get a rocket. Shock It's Rockets. Watch out. Today. That's a shock it in your pocket. Did you clock it? Don't Shock it. Lock it. We gotta go. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.